But if you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, let's turn to the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 23 to 26. If you would stand in honor of the word of God. Praise God. I know that I said a couple of weeks ago that we finished our series on a way through in the wilderness. But uh, I just couldn't get away from the book of Exodus. So this is a, a bit of a, an epilogue, if you will, or a, uh, uh, a, a nuclear fallout from that series that I just couldn't get out of my spirit. Exodus chapter 20, verse 23. The Bible says, remember... You must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. Build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats, and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered, and I will come to you and bless you. If you use stones... To build my altar, use only natural, uncut stones. Everyone say uncut. Do not shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. And do not approach my altar by going up steps. If you do, someone might look up under your clothing and see your nakedness bit of a strange verse it ends with now the, the Bible can be bewildering best of times and so he says you know because they wore robes back in those days you know the men had wear skirts said don't make steps because if you're climbing up steps they're gonna see your sexy ankles as God considered nakedness amen but I want to talk to you on the altar of uncut stones the altar of uncut stones let's pray and I wonder if we could join together and pray for the Santos family at this time father we thank you Lord that we can feel your presence Lord God we're asking you today that your presence would go to this wonderful family Lord to brother Nilo and to all the children grandchildren great-grandchildren Lord God, I pray that you would give them your comfort and your peace this time of grief. Lord God, knowing, Lord, that, that she is with you in your presence. But Lord, give them strength in the days ahead, the weeks and months and years. Let them your, give them your comfort and strength even now. In Jesus' name, we pray. For your word this morning, Lord God, we ask you to speak to our hearts. We ask you to open our spirits once again, Lord God, that we would hear from you. That you would anoint your servant and your people, God. We need your empowerment. We need your enablement. We can do nothing without you, but through you, all things are possible. And so today, Lord, we want to have an encounter with you, our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you clap your hands one more time and thank the Lord? God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. After God had given Moses the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, of course, pivotal in God's attempt to teach his people the right way. He frees them from, from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and then he brings them to uh, the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he begins this process of shaping and molding and changing the people of God. And one of the foundational things that God uses is His law. He gives to them the law of His Word. And He instructs them, and of course we know the Ten Commandments to be very famous. The movie was named after uh, this portion of Scripture. But immediately after that, God instructs them on how or, or how he would like the, the altar to be structured. An altar was simply a, a, a structure that 
you could put some wood on and a fire and lay a, uh, a sacrifice of an animal, a dead animal that would be burnt as a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice. It's a little bit like a glorified barbecue. <laughs> I mean that in the most sanctified way. <laughs> Amen. And so he tells them when you, when you put this altar together, the altar was a, a point, a place on the earth by which they could offer up their sacrifices as a means of worship. And they would burn up that sacrifice and it would be a worship unto God. And God says, when you make this altar, you got to make it out of uncut stones. I don't want you to put a chisel on it. I don't want to use a hammer, a jackhammer, or nothing. I want you to take the, ha the stones that you find in the earth and you pile it up together to make the altar. Maybe we could take that, put that picture up there, if you could, of what it might look like. Stones that are not hewn, not cut, not not uh, uh, manipulated or affected by the ha hands of man. And, and I want to say, uh, you know, this, this was their form of, of worship, that their worship always entails sacrifice. Amen. Uh, David said that. He said, I don't want to give anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me anything. Uh, you got to understand that worship is sacrifice. That, that even though we come here today, we come to the house of God and we enjoy it and we have a good time and we don't see it as a sacrifice, but in a sense, when we lift up our hands and lift up our voices and we clap our hands and we dance and we shout, in a sense, it is a sacrifice unto God. Amen. We, we sacrifice our energy. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice uh, that our, that's our sense of dignity, you know, you, you know, when you first came to church, you're kind of a little paranoid. Oh, am I lifting my hands right? You know, I remember when I first came to church, I'd kind of, you know, clap off time. I just, uh, I'd say amen when nobody else was saying amen. I'd say it all at the wrong time. Amen. And so we, 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 we sacrifice. And there's some people who don't care how they look, who don't care what their neighbor thinks. So they're going to praise God because they love Jesus. Amen. But I want you to know the worship requires some sacrifice. It's got to cost you something. It's got to cost you to come to the house of God and to, to give your best. And, and let me remind you that God sees that sacrifice and, and he enjoys it. He takes pleasure in the sacrifices that we give freely because we love the Lord. Amen. And so sacrifice is, and worship are, are, are two things that are inextricable. They are tied and connected together. But, but what intrigued me when I was going through this whole series and I came across this text and, and I was wondering, God, why did you demand and require that the altar would be made with stones, not cut or unhewn or whole stones? Why didn't you just have the people of God fashion it and, and make it so that it looks nice? Maybe it could have looked something like this. Maybe get the other photo up. It could have looked uh, quite uh, symmetrical and, and beautiful to look at and, and, and nice to, to look upon. Uh, and he said, no, he didn't kind of want something like this. He wanted like the other, the other kind of altar. He said, don't touch it because the moment that you put a tool to it, it becomes profane. It becomes dirty. It, it's, I, I won't honor it. And so I, I started to pray and ask the Lord, what was it about this that, that you wanted the children of Israel to use uncut stones? And, and he reminded me of the story leading up to this, that for 10 generations, the Israelites were slaves working uh, undoubtedly as stonemasons, uh, building the cities of Pharaoh and pyramids and temples and monoliths. And they were accustomed to to making uh, these uh, idols of statues uh, of, that represented the numerous gods in Egypt. And, and they were also accustomed to making bricks with their hands. And so they would have been very skilled to be able to produce something like what you just saw. They would have had the ability, the skill, and the know-how by which to make an, an elaborate, uh, a beautiful, symmetrical-looking uh, altar. But instead, he did not want them to do that because quite possibly, I believe, that he wanted them to know uh, that, that he did not want, when it came to their worship of God, to the worship of the one true God, he wanted to remind them that, that God was not to be fashioned, that they were not serving a God that was going to be made by their hands. 
I believe God wanted them to know that, that it's not he, God is not somebody that you can control, that you can create, that, that you can shape, and that you can make. In fact, the first commandment that God gives, he said, you shall not make any graven images in heaven or in earth, neither shall you bow down to them, because there is only one God. Amen. Amen. And I want you to know today that we are living in a world that likes to shape their own gods, that likes to make and manipulate a God after their image instead of understanding that we were created by a God after his image. Amen. I want you to know today that there is only one God. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, mind, and strength. Amen. There is only one God. Just, I think one of the greatest evidence to the existence that points to the fact that there's only one God is the fact that there's only one you. Amen. We were created in the image of God. Amen. And there is only one of me. I know as much as, you know, we try to look like uh, that, that idol that we had. You know, we try to do their hair. You, you remember some of you 80s kids try to get that Michael Jackson jacket, that, that, red, that red leather jacket, and, and try to do your hair. You got the jerry curls and all that. You remember as much as somebody would try, and as much as maybe, Jonah, you try to look like me and, and, and want to do my hair like me. There's, you know, you, we can look like somebody else so closely, but there is absolutely nobody just like you you are unique amen you you them you know they have these things they call doppelgangers you know doppelgangers like somebody like your double that looks just like you and, and you know you see some photos of total strangers coming across some people that looks just like them I've, I've had that come to me made that mistake you know they said oh you're you're you're, you're a Brad Pitt's doppelganger that's a joke <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, well, I can see that. No, no. But let me tell you, there is absolutely nobody just like you. You are unique in your thoughts, in your personality, in your temperament, in your looks. Nobody's got that birthmark just right on above your knee. You are nobody else like you. You know why? Because there is only one you. Because there's only one God. Oh, hallelujah, hero Israel. Shema Adonai, Shema Israel Adonai Elohim. Hallelujah, there's only one God. And you, we, we, we can't make a God out of our own image. Amen. God said, don't make a God that you can control. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people even in Christianity today, nominal Christianity, who like to shape a Jesus after their own image. Where they only serve a Jesus who is, who is meek and mild and kind and, and lovely and gentle and only wants to give to them. But, but I'm afraid you can't just cut out the parts that you don't like. You got to take the whole stone. Yeah, you got, if you're going to serve a Jesus who's meek and mild, he's the same Jesus who walked into the house, into the temple, and began to turn over the tables, began to kick out the sellers and the merchandisers, because the same Jesus who loves and forgave, he's also the same Messiah who preached the message. Repent, and repent, and turn from your sin. Humble yourselves. It's the same God who said to the hypocrites, to the Pharisees, woe to you. Oh, you just can't take one part of the Bible and ignore the other. You got to take the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. Oh, hallelujah. Because we're living in an age of Christianity, and you got to watch out, folks. We're living in a time where people, and even Christians who only preach one aspect, oh, all you need is the grace of God. That's all you need, and, and you can go live like the devil and live in hell, and just, just you got to receive. Yes, we are received. We are saved by the grace of God, and His grace means He gives us an opportunity to repent of our sins. Hallelujah. If you've never repented of your sin, can I tell you, you can do it today you can make up your mind you can decide for your life that I'm going to turn my life towards Jesus 
Oh, hallelujah. Oh, yes, I know we want the blessings of God. I know we want the good stuff. I know we want God to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that we can't even contain. Oh, yes, Jesus, give me the blessing. But let me remind you, there's more in the Bible. There's more to God than just the blessing and the stuff. God requires that we turn our hearts over to him, that we humble ourselves. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. That's the whole Bible. You got to take the whole stone. Don't cut out and make a God after your image. But you got to serve the God that's in the word of God, that's in the Bible, that said except a man is born again. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And that's, it's the Bible alone. The Bible alone. It's not Oprah Winfrey's philosophy. It's not even Joel Austin's theology. It's the Bible. That's all we have. I used to think you could, well, you know, I, I used to wonder, I said, God, well, what about, you know, this, this is, this is a, an idea that I've struggled with. What about all those folks that never heard the gospel? Ever wondered that? Ever grapple with that issue? What about all of my ancestors back in the day who never heard the gospel? What about those, those ancestors, you know, back in the day, before your time? You know, those Maori warriors? The, the, those Filipino natives? My, my, my great, 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 great grandfather who walked around the jungle with a blow dart shooting monkeys to eat for breakfast? Or, or those, those warriors in Fiji who, who, who killed and ate other ones. <laughs> what about those folks? I used to think, well, you know, well, they're, they're going to be saved according to, according to what they know or according to their works. And that's kind of nice. But can I tell you that that's not in Scripture? That's not in the Bible. And I said, God, you, you can't be that cruel. How in the world? And, and, and I started to shape a theology. I started to form a God in my mind that would be comfortable to, to what I think. But instead of me putting thoughts in the Bible, I had to learn to let the Bible put thoughts in my mind. And scripture is emphatic. I'm sorry. Scripture is black and white. We are all different shades of gray. We're not black and white. That's why we got to be kind to one another. Because we're not black and white. Some people do treat other people like they're black and white. But the, the gospel, the Bible is black and white. Heaven and hell is black and white. There's no purgatory. There's no, there's no celestial lobby in the sky where you can make up your mind where to go in eternity when you die. No, it's very clear. It's emphatic. It's left or right. It's up or down. It's heaven or hell. And all the scriptures give to us, I'm afraid, the Bible says, Jesus said in these words in John chapter 3, except a man is born again, the, hallelujah, there are no parentheses to that. There are no exceptions. He doesn't say, oh, except a man is born again, oh, unless, you, unless your mother was an alcoholic or unless you, you, you grew up in a rough background or unless you were born into this race. No, there are no parentheses. He said, except a man is born again, he cannot. I'm sorry, folks. That's all I can stand upon. All I've got is the Bible. All I can stand upon is not my philosophy. It's not my theology. Oh, I wish somebody would hear. All we have is God's word. And he's already declared his word. Hallelujah. But you know what that means? Instead of me scratching my head and saying, God, you're a cool God for letting my ancestors die without the message of the gospel. I had to put that aside and say, you know what? If that's the only way for a lost soul to be saved, you know what it does for us as a church? It puts the urgency. It puts a mandate upon us, a responsibility. That we've got to reach every lost soul. We've got to go to our neighborhoods. we got to get on, on our social media and make contact. Why? Because the only way to go to heaven is to be born again of water and the Spirit. Hallelujah. I, I'm not going to make a God out of my own fashion. But I've got to take the Bible 
He already declares who he is. This is what's called eisegesis and exegesis. Or exegesis. Eisegesis is when you read the Bible and put your own thoughts in there. It says, oh, I think it says this. Oh, I think baptism is sprinkling water in your head. That's eisegesis. That's putting your own thoughts of what we want. But exegesis is reading what the Bible says. And the Bible says that the, the scriptures are of no, the prophecies of God are of no private interpretation. That means you can't have five different interpretations as to what baptism means. There's only one baptism. There's only one meaning of baptism. And baptism means to be buried in water. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> And in the name of Jesus Christ, and something miraculous begins to happen when you step into that water. And that's why we've got that baptism created, formed right here. Because we understand the necessity of baptism. That when you step in the water and you come up out of the water, the Bible says your sins are washed away. Nothing miraculous about the water. Nothing miraculous about the person baptizing you. But it's out of obedience to God's word. When, they, when Jesus said, to be baptized and we do it in Jesus name because that's the authority oh and when you come up out of that water hallelujah all of your sins are gone all of your sins that you committed when you were but a be child and then the sins you committed last week are washed away oh I wish I had some Pentecostals in here you are uh, Maybe you need to get baptized again. If you forgot what it's like, I remember I was 19 years old. I was filled with drugs and alcohol. But when I stepped into that water and I came up, God said, you're clean, you're whole, you're pure. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, you're one of those Bible-thumping believers, huh? You're one of those guys. Yes, that's all we have, folks. We, we can't, you can't rely on Socrates and Plato and all the Greek philosophy. You, 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 can't, you can't build your life uh, upon social media and what you watch uh, or, or on cable television, whatever it is. Let me tell you the only foundation, the true authority is God's word. Uh, the Bible says if you try to take away from it uh, or try to add to it, uh, the curses uh, that are in this book uh, will be added to you. Oh, but thanks be to God uh, that he gave to us uh, the Bible. He preserved uh, his holy writ. Hallelujah. This is not UPC. This is not P.O. Sydney. This is, this is the Bible. Hallelujah. Oh, I wish I had time. Yeah, they got this hyper grace movement now. Hyper grace that we're saved by grace and, and nothing else. So you can, you can do whatever you want. You can live like the world. You can live like the devil. And you're still going to be saved. It's kind of closely connected to once saved, always saved. This, this doctrine of eternal security. That a person, once you're, you're saved, you can never be lost. That's not true. That's not scriptural. Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Paul says, take heed lest you fall. So it's possible for a Christian to fall. Yes, you can fall away from the grace of God. Amen. But there, there's all kind, you, you, you can't just, you know, pick and choose. Otherwise, if you're going to do that, might as well throw away the Bible. You got to take the whole Bible. And maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking. It says, don't cut the stones. Take it as it is. Receive the stones as it is. Somebody score a try. So, yeah, that's, that's a try for Jesus. And let me tell you. God will allow a person, he will allow you to walk right away from his grace and straight into the jaws of hell. And he will not stop you. He will not. You're not going to take some kind of celestial lasso and rope and, and, and get around your neck and pull you back. He, he's, if you want to destroy your life, he's going to let, he'll do it. He'll allow you, he'll watch you with a broken heart just like any parent would. 
Amen. But he's not going to stop you. He's not going to make you come down to the altar. He's not going to make you serve him. He won't make you live for God. He'll allow you to be destroyed. Why? Because his word will not allow us, not allow him to take over and override our hum, human will. It is the power to choose. And he will allow a person to go to hell. Oh, but what, what urgency does that bring to the church of the living God? That we are that rope. That we are the only voice that can help people to go down that path of destruction. Oh, I wish somebody would hear what I'm saying. You've got to open up your mouth. You've got to stop being afraid. You've got to stop, stop being scared. Our world is in a pandemic. It's time that they hear the message of hope. We don't have anything to apologize about. But what the world needs is what you have. Your friends are going to a devil's hell. Your classmates, your workmates, they're all lost. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so... I don't know, this is kind of, I was struggling with this message because I had three different directions by which to take this message. And forgive me if this is kind of disjointed. But, but I, my, my prayer is that it would speak to some aspect in our lives. The, the stones, I believe, that God wanted to put together, uh, you can't help but make the application in the New Testament. that The Bible says we are lively stones that put together makes a spiritual house that's what peter said we, we are lively stones not cut and we we are stones of all kinds of shapes all kinds of sizes <laughs> pandemic you know saying <laughs> quarantine we, we are all from different backgrounds different cultures different colors different different upbringings different temperaments uh, different personalities some of us were brought up with with parents who were who were harsh some of us were brought parents who were absent we've we've come from all different walks of life but when we come together we're different shapes whole as we are and let me tell you you can come as you are you are welcome even if you're not cut if you are whole whatever whatever issue whatever struggle you have you are welcome as you are Amen. And the Bible says in Peter that, that we become a spiritual house. When we get together, and you know, when those stones, remember that image? Those stones, you try to put it together, it doesn't quite fit, right? Sometimes it's just kind of, uh, you know, disjointed, and, and it doesn't fit quite right. It's not symmetrical. It's not pretty. But listen to me. When we get together, amen, even with the rough edges, even with, with, with some of our sides that are not even, and parts to us that are are dysfunctional that are messed up but let me tell you when we rub up against each other it's going to do something it's going to smooth out the rough edges amen praise god that's why you don't get upset if somebody offends you or somebody hurts you in the church and some folks you know they want to leave well i don't want to go back to that church because because she didn't smile at me and i gave her the biggest smile and she couldn't even muster up a little a little grin you know and so i'm not going back to that church or or you know he upset me you know what, what he did and she sang a little off and and his preaching wasn't so good don't get upset and don't get bent out of shape because god you're still a part of the spiritual house that god uses are you hearing what I'm saying? To shape us together. To make us better. To smooth out the, the sharp bits that we still have. I always, always love traveling, you know, with a missions team. Often try to take a youth team as much as we can. Traveling overseas is always a great experience. And, and you know, we, we go away for a couple of weeks at a time. We go to another country. And I'll usually take a lot of young people with me. And what's amazing, one particular trip I did, uh, you know, they, when, the beginning of the trip, everybody's excited. You know, they, they want to conquer the world. And, they, you know, their, their teammates are like, you know, their best buddies, you know, high-fiving everywhere and hugging each other and stuff. You know, the first few days is always fun. But then after, after about a week of being in close quarters with somebody, you know, when you have three girls staying in one room, you know, the laughter kind of dies down a little bit, you know. And, and there's one particular situation where we had these two young ladies that were sharing and, and they were just arguing, fighting, and it was just causing this, this terrible atmosphere in the team. And, and so I had to 
had to get involved. I had to intervene because it was just getting too much. So I met with this girl. And one, one of the girls, she's one of those, you know, busybodies. There's not, none of the girls here, okay? So, <laughs> she, she's a bossy kind of person, always telling people what they need to do. And, uh, and then this other girl who was in close proximity with her, she was always like the missensitive, you know, just very, anything will get her upset. And, and you know, she gets offended by every little thing. And so this, uh, the bossy girl was always kind of telling her, oh, you got to hurry up because she was always late. And, you know, and she felt like she had to be responsible for her. Well, well that, you know, sparked this, this conflict between these two girls. And so I had to sit them down and I said, listen, uh, you know, you, Miss Busybody, um, that's not her name. I said, listen, uh, you gotta, you're not her mother. You got to just relax and just, just be a sister, be a friend. You, you know, you don't tell her what to do. And then to, to Miss Snowflake, that, that's not her real name, okay? I said, you, you just got to toughen up a little bit, okay? You, you, we're in a mission trip. You, you know, you can't be too sensitive here. We're, we're going to rough it out sometimes, you know? We're going to stay in not very nice places. We're going to see rats and mice in places, you know? You, you got to toughen up. And if she tries to tell you, well, you just tell her, I don't need to listen to you. And, and they're arguing. And, and I'll tell you the, the meaning. And I thought after that meeting, uh, man, I've lost these girls. They walked away, you know, kind of shook hands. And, you know, sometimes when you have a fight with somebody, you shake hands and you just go, I hate that guy. <laughs> and you still hate them? Well, I, I thought that I just about lost these two girls, but the first few hours was, you know, the next few hours was really awkward, to say the least. But by the end of the trip, there, there was something different about these two girls. Little Miss Bossy became a little less bossy. She, she became a little bit more, I noticed in her speech that she, instead of telling people what to do, she now begins to ask people. And, and, and little Miss Snowflake, uh, she was a little less sensitive and she started to, to be more assertive. She started to toughen up. And this was just in a matter of a few days. Just with a little conflict, it caused both these two girls to grow and to progress in, in who they were. Can I tell you, that's why God puts us together. He, he puts us, sometimes we're going to rub up against one another, but that, that's so that we can smooth out the rough edges and we can learn to grow and to mature. Amen. And that's why we have sign-ups for Connect Groups. We want to encourage everybody to join a Connect Group. That was my plug for Connect Group, by the way. Everybody can join a connect group. You, you know, you can't, you can't have just this idea of church is something that you go to once a week. That used to be my idea of church. I grew up in a church where uh, my mom would take us to the same uh, church every week. And we know we come, we do our thing. I hated it. 45-minute service. <laughs> We're here for about an hour, 15, an hour and a half. 45 minutes to me as a teenager, it felt like eternity. You know, we put a little money in the plate, do our thing, and walk out, you know. You know what? Of the five to seven years we went to the same church, I did not know one person in that church. I don't remember one name. I don't remember one face. I don't ever recall having a conversation with them. We just did our thing. We went out. Folks, that, that's the wrong idea of church. Church is not a place that you go to. Church is a body. Church is a living Church is a living organism it's an altar a lively stones a house a spiritual house that we are become family that we have some interaction we have some engagement conversation we can pray for one another we can hold hands as it were when we sing and we worship well not at the moment because of social distancing but church is a place it's a body of people and not a place praise god hallelujah amen finally I think this, this altar of uncut stones, I believe God didn't want them to cut the stones because he, they were already skilled with their hands. And he didn't want them to focus on the beauty of the altar, but rather on the purity of the sacrifice. It's so easy to become enamored and, and to become experts, we can become skilled at looking the part, at sounding the part. Well, we can become skilled at singing the songs, at 
playing. And, and I'm all for that. I think we ought to do the very best that we can. The Bible says to sing unto the Lord a new song and play skillfully unto the Lord. We should use all the skill that we can muster and all the skill that we can develop and hold. Amen. Because, you know, no matter what, you know, so, uh, and here, you know, people, sometimes they say, you know, all you, you, all, all you need is the anointing. Yes, I do believe that, but you also got to sing in tune. Okay, there's that tension. <laughs> because no matter how anointed you are, the note A is universal. If it doesn't sound like an A, if it's not one of the other notes, like A minor or something like that, if it's a flat A, I don't care how anointed you are. It's going to be painful to the ears. Oh, they're anointed. Yeah, but they can't sing. You know how many years I have to listen? <laughs> I better not. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Amen. We, 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 need to, we need to play skillfully. Yes. Amen. And, you know, the, I, I don't believe anointing and off singing and off music, they're, they're not compatible. I'm sorry. I, I don't believe. Uh, you know, you get somebody. If you put me, you put me with a, with a, with a violin and you say well he's anointed yeah even if i'm anointed that violin is going to sound terrible amen and you're gonna it's gonna drown out the anointing the anointing is gonna be lost in the you've got to have the skill you've got to be able to sing in tune sing a note but remember it's not just about the singing it's not just about the skill it's about the heart it's not about the beauty of the altar but the purity of your spirit that you're willing to surrender upon the altar oh hallelujah thank god for all the skill that we have Thank God for all the gifted musos and singers. Thank God for you who knows how to worship God. But it's not about the singing. It's not just about the lifting up of your hands. It's about what's in here. Oh, hallelujah. You remember what Jesus said? He said, you worship me with your mouth and with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Come on, folks. It's time to get back to the heart of worship. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm not just talking about music, but whatever you do, maybe it's on the job and you just see it as your skill for work, for, for, for driving that forklift or, or for putting that, that, that program in the computer. Whatever it is, the Bible says to do it unto the Lord. Don't look at it as just making money, but look at it as your worship unto God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Maybe that's why he said, don't worry about the, how the altar looks. Don't cut it. Don't make it beautiful because humanity, we have a tendency to just admire our skill and our beauty. He said, it's not about that. It's about the purity. It's about here. It's what's on the altar that really matters. Oh, hallelujah. I've, I've got to close. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Maybe that's why, that's why he told them don't cut the stones. I have, I have no idea. This is just thoughts that I believe God's given to me. Or, or maybe the altar, the stones represents the, the, ugly, the ugly pieces of our lives that we can take. and We can put one on top of the other and make it an altar. And upon the ugly experiences the brokenness in our lives we lay there on the top of the altar our hearts and our spirits before God and you know something happens when you put an altar he, he, he's not impressed with this and that when your heart is a million miles away when you're thinking about lunch and I, I think about lunch. But I say, hey, get away from it. I got to worship God. <laughs> you remember the story of Elijah. Now, I'm coming to close. I promise. This is my second closing. The story of Elijah, he was on Mount Carmel, and, and he had the, the showdown with, with the prophets of Baal, and he said, put all these bullocks on there as a sacrifice, create an altar with wood and stone, and then he took barrels of water and, and literally drowned it with water. 
And then he prayed. And when he created the altar, guess what happened? God answered him with fire. God is a consuming fire. And when God answered by fire, not only did he consume the bullocks, not only did he evaporate the water and consume the timber, but the stones were gone. It was completely eradicated and destroyed. It wasn't like, you know, when you do a lovo and, and you put the stones and the stones get all hot and white. The stones were gone. Because when he consumes, when you lay an altar before him, he consumes it. And you know, I was, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna do, a, I was gonna te- preach about the Ten Commandments, and then I got into this text, and and you know, the Ten Commandments. We often look at the Ten Commandments as a series of do's and don'ts, right? And that's why, even as a kid growing up, as a teenager, I think, man, Christianity is so boring. Look at all these do's and don'ts I gotta follow. But but what if? What if the Ten Commandments were, were not chains? You remember we used to have chains on the, on, the, on the rows? What if the Ten Commandments were not chains to keep you locked in? But instead, the Ten Commandments were guideposts to knowing God. Uh, what, what if we change our perspective a little bit and not see Ten Commandments as a series of rules, but begin to look at it as a revelation from God as to what He's like? That when he says to honor your mother and father, it's because he's revealing that he is our father. That we can call upon him the way we can call upon our parents. The way that our parents love us unconditionally is the way that God loves us unconditionally. Well, what if when he says in his words, don't steal, it's because he's revealing the fact that I'm going to provide everything that you need. You don't have to cheat on your taxes. You don't have to steal from work. You don't have to steal from that cash register. Why? Because I'm a God that will provide. If God has a problem with being able to help you, he can still say, well, go ahead and steal because I don't have enough money up in here. You go and steal. No, no. He, he said, don't steal. Why? Because you don't need to do that. Why? I'm going to provide for you. you what if he said, you're going to observe a Sabbath day? And of course, we know that that refers to Jesus is our Sabbath. And, and, and there's a lot of implications with that. But what if he's saying, you can observe the Sabbath. You can have a day of rest where you don't go to church. You don't go anywhere, but you stay home. Why? Because he wants to tell you that I'm a God who believes that you need rest, who wants good things for you, who wants to benefit you spiritually and physically, who wants to give you good things and wants to remind us you're not an animal you're not a beast of burden you're no longer a slave but now you are my child musicians if you like to come oh what are the ten commandments what 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 if he's saying in his word that for us to for for us to to not not covet our neighbors uh, things to not commit adultery because because he's a god who's always faithful to us who will never leave us nor forsake us, who will be loyal to us even when we don't deserve it, even when we deserve for him to turn his back on us. Yet instead, he gives us this unquenchable love and a faithfulness and a loyalty like no other. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Maybe it's simply to take our broken broken pieces of our lives put it together and say here it is God here's my life and I lay it down upon the altar it's not about how perfect you look whether you can clap in time or sing in tune it's about are you willing to give your all it's not an altar unless you're willing to give your all that, that's the thing about this God. You know, Oprah Winfrey said, oh, I don't want to serve God because he said he's a jealous God. She totally misunderstood. What kind of husband would I be if I'm not jealous of my wife if she was to, to flirt with some other man? 
What kind of husband would I be if I'm not jealous of that? That would be a husband who doesn't care. What kind of God would he be if he was not jealous of you flirting with sin and, and, and living your life in destruction? What he's saying is, I love you with an everlasting love. The gospel, this, this folks, this does not work unless we give our all. You, you can't have a compartment. Oh, here's, here's my sport compartment. Here's my God compartment in my... No, it's, all of it's got to be God. He, God's not your handbag. He's not Gucci. He, he's not an accessory to you. Oh, here's my God. I'm taking him on Sunday. No. He, he's, he's the living God. This God is powerful beyond your imagination. This God is so incredible beyond your understanding. This God is so awesome. This God, he's not religion. He, he's, a, he's a relationship. He's a powerful reality. And if you got faith in you, if you got enough faith to build an altar and say, God, right here, right now, it begins right here. There's a point in your life. Come on. Life is not measured by minutes. Life is not measured by dollars. It's measured by moments. You got to have a God moment in your life to say right here is my altar. Right here, right now. I'm not going to wait for 2021. I'm not going to wait till the pandemic is gone. If you're hearing my voice right now, there's a place for you to create an altar. Say this is it, God. I'm laying it down. Hallelujah. That's what Paul meant when he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, not just your heart, not just your mind. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking about God. No, present your bodies, this, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, that's reasonable. It's not too much. That's not much to ask, but that's your reasonable service. You know that somebody one preacher said the problem with living sacrifices you put that living sacrifice on the altar it has a tendency to crawl off the altar but I submit to you today as a God is saying I'm calling you to lay it on the altar doesn't matter how ugly your life is regardless of the sharp edges regardless of the the dysfunction and the brokenness and the addictions and the hurt, the failures and the mistakes, the inconsistency, whatever it is, put it on the altar and surrender your heart. He will accept nothing less than your all. If you're not willing to give your all, there's no point. Would you stand to your feet? Sorry for taking so long. So last time we're going to be together like this for a while. Hallelujah. Would you lift your voices right now? In the name of Jesus. Every eye closed. Every head bowed. Raise your hands if you can. Heavenly Father. Lord, we come before you today. The broken pieces of our lives together as, as a family of broken people, as a family filled with inconsistency, with failures, with mistakes, with sin. Today, Lord God, we want to lay our lives before this altar today. We want to surrender ourselves to you. We want to give our all. We may not even know what that means, but God, our all today, we're willing to surrender to our loving Savior, to an awesome God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I, I've got to stop, but I believe God wants to do something in someone's life. I want to open this altar to you. If you'd like to come and bring this living sacrifice, to this altar to surrender your will, your mind, and your body.
your eyes, your mouth, every part of you surrendered upon the altar. I promise you God will meet with you. He'll bring his fire, the fire of his Holy Spirit, the fire of his passion. The love of God will be shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. If you need the gift of the Holy Ghost, right now is your opportunity to come. Right now, today, you can make this a God moment for yourself. If you are willing to build an altar, if you're willing to lay it down, say, God, I give to you my all. If you need a healing in your body, if you need a miracle from God, come to the altar. Hallelujah. We'll sing that song. Come to the altar. Hallelujah. This altar is open right now. It's your opportunity to respond to God. If you need God's Holy Spirit, He can fill you. He can overflow in your life. If you need His help, if you need His strength, if you need His enablement, His healing and deliverance, God's power is here today. Are you hurting or are you broken? Come and lay down the altar. Oh yes, yes Lord. Come on, lift your voices wherever you are all throughout this building. Talk to the Lord. Ministers and leaders, if you'd like to come, pray for those that are here today. Oh, yes. the Holy Ghost moving right now. He'll answer by fire. 